I'm going to welcome 60 or so young people from FCA over here to the left. Welcome all of you folks and our other guests and visitors. Welcome this morning. Just to update you quickly, our guests, our friends new to our church family, we're in a series on Acts. We've been there for about nine, ten months. We're now chapters 25 and 26, and we're going to focus on specifically the word testify. So can I have slide number three, please? So in previous weeks, I tried to take what our teaching time was and bring it down to a word. And so several weeks ago, we used the word resurrection, and I said to you then that the resurrection theme is found in chapters 21 through 27. It's all through. We're going to focus on some of that this morning. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I talked about prayer. And we used the words take courage when St. Paul said, take courage. And the Lord spoke to him and said, hang in there. Don't quit. Be strong and courageous. Last week, we used the word blameless. People whose lives reflect Jesus in such a beautiful way that others want to be around them and close to them. And this week, I want to use the word testify. And I want to talk, testify as I talk about the resurrection. So let me do a couple things with you quickly. Um, let me put context. So Mike alluded to it. I've been your pastor for 26 and a half years, and I've never seen the season that we're in. So since July, January of 2017, I think this is accurate. I'll ask Jane Kraft to follow up. But I believe I can say in the bulletin since January 1, we've had more than 170 families named who've lost a loved one. Last week we had eight. This week we have 11. Let me just read through because I'm poking on resurrection. Express sympathy to the Dunnick families for death of Grandpa, J.B. Stainhook, and Dad, Earl. Also, uh, brothers and sisters. To the Kramers in the death of mother, grandmother. To the Hudsons and Fatmas and Heemstras in the death of their father and grandfather. For the Rosaboms, parents and children, the death of um, grandfather and father. The Heskies in the loss of their mother, grandmother. And then the Jansons are here. And I want to express sympathy to you. Is your name Hannah? Did I get that right, honey? Okay, Garrett, Hannah, Joe, um, Dad, Ron, and then Lizzie. In Li uh, Lisa's death, Lisa died on the 3rd. And tomorrow afternoon, we will have her visitation here at the church. And the funeral service will be here on uh, Tuesday morning at 10. And then I want to express sympathy to the, the Blum family because Marge Blum uh, died yesterday. So this week we have 12 families. Last week we had eight. It's an appro appropriate then that we talk about resurrection. And I find it so interesting that on this Sunday, looking through the book of Acts, we come to the resurrection theme specifically, and our sound system screams. Now, if I can, I'm going I'm to be a little more blunt than I typically am here. The scream was a demonic scream. Our spiritual enemy hates, hates, hates that Christ has destroyed sin and death and the grave. That's his tool. That's his card. And if we can be so overcome with our grief and loss, speaking as one who's lost a son the last year, if we can be so overcome with our loss and we don't live with resurrection hope, he just kicks us and kicks us and kicks us. So what I want to go at, this, go at this morning is start to talk about resurrection. Now, why is that important? And I want to just give kudos to the Jansons. If you know this family and have walked with them in these last months, the ways they have connected to Christ and to each other has been magnificent. And if uh, you come to the funeral, we'll share some more about it. But in the midst of this fight against cancer, they have lived with resurrection hope. 
And that's a unique dance. This morning at the first service, sitting back in the back, kind of where the camera person is, is someone whose son was shot and killed in a movie theater some years ago. She comes in every morning, Sunday morning, about 10 to 8, and she says to me, and I say to her, how are you? So her son was shot and killed. Our son died tragically quickly. And we look at each other, and we both said this. What we're asking each other is, are you living with resurrection hope? So that's what I'm gonna poke at today. Now why? In the round, the word testify. Because there will come moments in each of our lives, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, there will come moments when you need to be ready and able to say what it is you believe. Very simply, what I'm focusing on today is the resurrection. Not the whole gospel story, not the four spiritual laws, all that stuff. No, no, no. I'm gonna focus on one thing today. I wanna focus on Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And because Christ has risen, we who die in Christ will rise. So my son is not dead, my son is alive. And all those who love, Lisa is not dead, she's alive. Marge is not dead, she's alive. If you live with resurrection hope, now why am I pushing at this? Because as I look at the American church, Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox, there is a strong emphasis, and it's a good one, on the death, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That is so important, yes, yes, yes. But what I observe is there is very little affirmation practically for believing that Christ has risen from the dead. So what has happened is we focus on the truth, the doctrine of the dead guy, mindful of the forgiveness of sins, hoping we have an insurance policy that someday when we stand before the king, we get, do I get in? Well, that's, as I said last week, that's a partial gospel. We also need to have the sense of the Christ is resurrected. He is resurrected in power and glory. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Talked about that last week. And to give us new resurrection bodies with an eternity that's beyond comprehension. We need to focus on the resurrection. So what I'm asking you to think about today is, are you willing, will you able, at some point, can you say, I believe in Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, 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 we win. That's the game. We win because he's already won. That's what we have to fight for, cling for, depend on. Now, I've told you this before. Pastor Katie and I have talked about this, different classes. If you follow the word, the brain research of Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Timothy Jennings, and all these people, we've talked about this. In our brains, we have dendrils and all kinds of synapses and all this stuff. It is so easy to have negative stuff just embedded, entrenched in our minds. And negative thinking then controls us. I told you this on Easter Sunday morning. University of Southern California, brain research people, you get 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. 60 to 70,000, there goes my sound, how's that? Here we go, here it comes back. 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, the researchers say. You, 80% of them are negative, and we are mindful of six to 12. So if in our brains we have negative, 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 if our social media is negative, 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 if what I'm hearing, receiving, inputting is negative, it gets embedded in our brains and we live with hopelessness and despair. So I can give you a quick example. Southern California had an earthquake. You all know this. How many times have you heard about it in the last two days? Can you imagine the terror in Southern California? I lived there for 12 and a half years. Let me just tell you how it goes. So we had a 6.9 earthquake. And 6.9, things happen. Life moves, water moves, buildings move, all this stuff. 
So the government contacted our church, and since we had a large church, they said, we want you to be prepared in your parking lot to have food, drink, uh, sanitary stuff for 1,000 people for three days. So on our church building, we put a stucco, stucco enclosure on the outside. We had axes and picks hidden away. That earthquake came, we could break in. We had 5,000 gallons of water. We had 1,000 pounds of peanut butter. We had all kinds of sanitary supplies, and we were ready for the next earthquake. Now, we were ready for it, but what did that do to the congregation? What did that do to our community? There was all this anxiety about the earthquake, the earthquake, the earthquake, the earthquake, the earthquake. We were so afraid for the earthquake, and all we thought about and talked about was the earthquake, the earthquake, the earthquake. Now let me ask you a question. How many things are you thinking about that are negative, negative, painful, negative, despairing, pain? And once you start fixing on it, it just, just becomes part of us. So, what's the antidote? It is remembering that Christ has risen. This is not about a dead guy. Christ has risen. Because he has risen, he's the first fruits. All who die in him will rise. That's our hope. That's the future. So let me give you slide number six. Let me give you a crazy sentence, then we'll go to scripture. As this comes from a guy named Larkin, fantastic scholar. Book of Acts. As Paul testifies, without the resurrection of Jesus, look at the next phrase. The resurrection of Jesus is the defining moment in human history. Without the resurrection, there is no future for anyone. But when we let the resurrection be our defining moment, the light comes on for our past, our present, and our future. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to push like nuts today. You and I need to develop a resurrection mindset. We have to think resurrection. We have to celebrate resurrection. We need to embrace resurrection. We need to live out of the resurrection because there is always hope in the resurrection. So don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to be sad and grieve and lament our losses and pain and death. Absolutely. But we need to balance it with resurrection hope. Does that make sense? And what I'm observing is we're good here, not so much. And this is what I'm pushing this morning. So open Bibles, please. Let's go. Acts 25. Just so you get your character straight. So Paul's on trial between three elected officials, two governors, and a king. So we're starting in chapter 24, verse 27. Paul is in prison now for two years. Governor Felix has succeeded by Porcius Festus, the next governor. But because Paul wanted to grant favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So read 12 verses relatively quickly. Three days after arriving in the province, Governor Festus, second governor, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Governor Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for... They were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Governor Festus answered, Paul is being held at a city called Caesarea. I myself am going there soon. But some of your leaders come with me. If the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with him, Festus, the governor, went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court in order that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who came, came around him from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against Paul, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. 
I've done nothing wrong, three things, nothing wrong against the Jewish law, I've done nothing wrong against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had to confer with his counsel, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. So look up real quick. Any Roman citizen could appeal to the emperor. So think about that. Any American citizen could appeal to the president. Any Roman citizen could have his or her case brought to Nero, the governor, the, the, the emperor. Now let's go to chapter 26. There's a whole bunch of conversation, lots of talking, all kinds of stuff back and forth. Chapter 26, first couple verses, and then back in the end of the chapter. 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as they make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you're well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And then he begins to talk about his life and his, all the kinds of things. And then in verse 12, 26, 12, he talks about his journey to Damascus where Christ, the risen Christ, encountered him. On one of these journeys to persecute the church, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was round the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you, the risen Jesus, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Why? Purpose clause, here's the reason. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified or consecrated by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this vision from heaven. First, look, at, look where he goes. First in Damascus, Jerusalem, Judea, and the Gentiles, Acts 1.8. I preached they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to see the resurrection. Go back to 24, verse 14. Five times in two chapters, you can talk resurrection. 24, 14. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they called, the accusers call a sect. I believe everything that is in written in accordance with the law and in the prophets. And I have the same hope as these men themselves have, look at the next phrase, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Chapter 24, verse 20. Or these, he, or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. 
It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am trial before you today. Chapter 25, verse 19. Instead, they had some points of dispute. The the group was trying to figure out what's going on. Instead, they had some points of dispute with Paul about someone named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. Chapter 26, verse 8. Why should you consider incredible that God raises the dead? Chapter 26, verse 22. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So people of God, these are the words of God. Okay, now slide six again. Let's go back to this, this one sentence by the guy, scholar named Larkin. I'm really rushing because I'm watching the clock and we have communion today, so forgive me for going so fast. As Paul testifies, without the resurrection of Jesus, the defining moment in human history. Now, that is, that is a profound statement. So I want you to think about this. So he's saying that the resurrection of Jesus is more defining a moment than the cross of Jesus. That the resurrection of Jesus is more significant than any single moment in human history. Why? Because the resurrection is a validation and vindication that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Why did, why did, why did time change after Jesus? B.C. to A.D. Human time changed. How we measure days, months, years changed when Jesus rose So if this is a defining moment in human history, listen to me now, it should be significant in how you live and how we live. If this this is the defining moment, World War II, pick your defining moment. Was it D-Day? Was it V-J Day? Was it the atomic bomb? There were significant moments that changed the history of of the war. This is the defining moment. So let me push. If it's true, it should change how we live. If Christ is risen, we always have hope. In the midst of death and pain and loss, we believe that Christ has won. Christ has defeated death and the devil. Do you believe this? Not not just in your head. It should affect how we live. So I can, I I don't want, I hope I'm not coming across scolding, so forgive me, I am. I'm just trying to be real personal here. So when Kirk died, the, the, battle, the battle was to choose. It's still the battle to choose to say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. We go to New Sharon to his grave every week, and there sits a stone, and there sits my son's body. And every week I'm reminded he is dead, and every week I remind myself, no, he's not. And so we sit in this tension. Which side wins? Typically, for me, it was over here. But now I'm moving over here. And now as I am permitted to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, and I watch families. Can I, can I, Jansons, can I just honor you for a moment? It's okay. The morning that Lisa died, it was, it was, it was, it was such an honor to be with that family as they waited for Jesus to come get Lisa. And there is, and many of you know this, there is a profundity when a believer dies 
who is not in pain. When I believe, I think this is pretty fair from John 14, when Jesus comes to take our loved ones home. And I left just before Lisa died, but to see the family all there together, there was the sense, did you feel it, family, of the presence of the Lord? It was profound. And in that moment, as the Lord is present, he takes one who is dying in this life and brings her to a life that will never end. And I remember, remind me, remember in 2014 I did a series on heaven and hell? Remember the analogy I used? It's like being in one room, having a conversation in this room, talking to people in this room, and then when you die, you come into another room. And so with the moment Lisa died, she left this space, and she's here. And now she is in the presence of Christ with who knows whatever is in the heavens. Or, or, the other analogy? A little girl is playing with her toys and it's eight o'clock and she's falling asleep on the floor. And she falls asleep. When she wakes up in the morning, she's in her bed. She has no, no idea how she got there. But she's in her bed. When we die, the Lord picks us up and brings us to a new place. And that's a place of life, everlasting. Jesus, I have come to give you life and give it to the full. Listen to this. Eternal life does not happen when you die. Eternal life happens as soon as you make that connection with Jesus. Eternity starts forever with him here. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you want to believe in the resurrection? What can you do to believe in the resurrection? Can I go to slide seven, please? Can we, I, for our guests, if, you, if this is really creepy, you don't have to do it. Pretend you're praying or whatever you want to do, take a nap. For those of you who would like, can we just take a couple minutes? How can being deeply convinced that Christ has risen, that he has overcome death, help you to flourish for as many days as you have on this planet. Can we take it, give it a shot? If you're open, great. If you don't want to, I'm making a joke, you don't have, no one has to, but if you'd like to, can we just take about like a minute and a half? And what might happen if you actually believe Christ is risen? On the marks, get set, go. Okay, how about if a little bit of talk back? Anybody, anybody got something we can share that I can repeat? How can being deeply convinced that Christ has risen, has overcome death, how does that help us flourish? A couple people just throw some stuff out and I'll repeat them. We have hope, says Rick. Thank you. We have hope. We have, remember, hope in the New Testament, hope is like this. Imagine you're on a balcony. The New Testament word for hope is anticipation. You can't wait to see what's coming. So we have something to anticipate. Very good. Thanks, Rick. Somebody else? Yeah, Lua. Yeah, it, it, well, so if we have hope, we're aiming toward that. We're aiming toward that which we long for. So that, that's, so this, this, this is why the, you know, the text says, 
fix our eyes on Jesus. Where's Jesus? Well, he, obviously, he's, he's ascended. He's risen, right hand of God the Father. But somehow, he's present. So we can't be fixing our, hand, our eyes on Jesus. What's the Lord doing? How's the Lord working? I wrote a sentence this week. It's, it's an awkward sentence, but see if, it, see, if it, see if it registers. I wrote this this morning. We will live with the resurrected Jesus only as deeply and persuasively as the stories we have gathered will allow us to live. Read that again. We will live with the resurrected Jesus only as deeply and persuasively as the stories we have gathered will allow us to live. We need to tell stories of how the risen Christ has acted. See, the danger is otherwise we're just, we're just gonna talk about a dead guy. So you come, come, to, come, come to school, Here's a professor, you know, graduate school degrees, blah, 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 blah. Here's a textbook. I'm going to teach you what it says. No, no, no. We are in relationship with a risen king who is active, involved in life, and he's coming again bodily. Now he's active in his spirit and through his people. Listen to this. This is why last week was such a big deal. I used the word blameless last week. Do you understand that we are the only Bible many people will ever read. Do you understand that? We, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, are the only Bible many non-Christians will ever read. So what are they reading? What are they reading? I told you this last week. One of the ways I and we got prayer. When I go on long trips, I stay in the right-hand lane, set my cruise control, and drive the speed limit. So I had a long meeting to another state, <laughs> and someone had watched this. I was going to Omaha, and somebody in law enforcement followed me from Atlantic, Iowa, to Omaha, Nebraska. And he pulled me over and said, you know what I was following? Said, he said, I wanted to see if you actually drive the speed limit. So for him, if I was speeding, the Bible he was reading says, he can disobey the laws. He can cheat. He can blow off the authorities over him. So I was be so someone watched something online, saw my car, ran my plates, followed me, stopped me to say to me, I'm reading your Bible. What about you? See, and people who live with resurrection hope have a Bible people can read and say, Wow, she believes this. They believe this. Now don't don't hear I'm not saying this is not easy. This is hard work. Am I speaking the truth? To choose to live with resurrection beliefs is hard work because so much of what we get is negative, 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 negative. So you have to ask yourself, do you want to appropriate and live in the resurrection hope that is yours because Jesus died and rose? It's yours. You know the old, the old story? You're... You have a friend who's a banker or a wealthy person who says you can write a check for whatever amount of money you want. And we're afraid to write the check. You have one who loves you, 
who has promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. Who has promised not to condemn you. Please hear this. At the last, I got, I think, 70 emails from the last Sunday morning sermon by Tuesday. And so many people said they had never heard that when they stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, they will not hear him saying, They had never heard the verse applied. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? This, the, the, the gospel is just nutty, crazy, awesome. We have one who loves us so intensely, who has promised that death will not defeat us, sickness will not defeat us, brokenness will not defeat us, abuse, every, everything will be made right, everything will be made right. Listen, listen to this. When I first came to Pell, I did a funeral of a, of a Korean War veteran, and there were some difficult things around his life as he was dying, and this man had a deep, deep faith. And he talked about what happened in Korea and the war and then some of his care challenges. And then he said to me, and I use this at his funeral, he said, the sufferings of this life cannot compare with the glory that will one day be revealed. So for the Jansons, and 170 other families. The suffering that we walk with the ones we loved cannot compare with the glory that will be revealed. Can you imagine that? As hard as the road of suffering is, it cannot compare what's coming. That's the wonder of our faith. And that's the wonder of this table. Let me, Cameron, you want to come up here? Cameron Blum is one of our interns. I've asked him to help me this morning. Typically, when we do communion, we focus on the death of Christ, and rightly so. But I'd like us to focus more today on the resurrection of Christ. So let me read just a little bit of liturgy, and then I'm going to ask Cameron to pray, and then we're going to have communion together. So I want to, it's, going to, it's going to take about a minute and a half, so stick with me, okay? Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper we're going to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, communion, and hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was into the world to assume our flesh and blood, to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even the bitter and shameful death on the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus established for us a new covenant of grace and reconciliation that we can, listen to this now, that we will be accepted by God and never, listen, never be forsaken by him. We come to remember. Then that goes on, but we come to have communion, present tense, with the same Jesus, who's, listen now, who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. And the breaking of the bread, Jesus makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread and strengthens us to life eternal. In the cup of blessing, Jesus comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we're gonna bear fruit. And now the word hope, present tense, anticipation. 
We come in anticipation, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love that will come when we with unveiled faces will be able to see Christ in all his glory. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus has obtained for us his life-giving spirit who unites us all as one body, let's gather together around this table as one, mindful of the communion of the saints. This morning, could you focus on the fact that Christ is risen and alive? I'm gonna ask Cameron to pray for us. Would you pray with Cameron, please? Dear Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that, being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, Grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. On behalf of the elders, I would like to invite anyone and everyone who has a relationship with Christ as Lord to join us. The words of institution. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when they had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup of the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. The elders are gonna come forward now and pass out the bread and the juice Feel free to take it as you wish and as you choose and continue to worship. Receive the goodness of a resurrected Lord.